I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show. Brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In this week's programme, Crystal Balls. We give you the best and the worst of the expert predictions for the stock market and the housing market in 2008. Commercial property funds, how low can their prices go before they become a big buying opportunity? Gas and electricity prices, when does it pay to switch provider? And we have some good news and bad news on individual savings accounts. I'm Matthew Vincent and I'll be giving you the lowdown on these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hi. Rather croaky Steve Lodge, I should, should add. And from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hello. Good to see you both again. So let's start with the money news this week and the reams and reams of forecasts, predictions, guesstimates that have been issued about the direction of stock markets and, and house prices next year. Let's uh, let's take the, the housing market predictions first. Um, we've had the Halifax and the Nationwide both basically say that they reckon housing markets are going to be flat in 2008, so 0% across the country. The national average, exactly that. Uh, There will be regional variations. Some of the predictions we've had are a little bit more varied than that. There appear to be um, some people who are a little bit more bullish, others quite bearish. I think a range of about plus 5% to minus minus 10%. I can't help thinking it will be more of a regional story. Personally, I think London is more resilient and I think that's what some of the experts are saying as well. Um, whereas I think some of those arguably er- poor areas that have come up in recent years, north, northwest, I think those are the areas where you might see those falls. And I think that's what's reflected in some of these predictions. I think it is. I mean, that came, that came through in the, in the Halifax, the, the HBOS uh, forecast. I think they were uh, pointing out that there have been these big increases in the Midlands and, and the North in the last mm. sort of three sort of to five letters, years. things like that. A lot of that, and uh, that's why there's more scope for those prices to fall. I think they said uh, Yorkshire and Humberside, the North and the Northwest, minus 2% in calendar year 2008. But then rises in other parts of the country. Scotland, plus 4%. Mm. Uh, it's gonna, the prediction is it'll be the fastest growing uh, region for property prices. Greater London, plus 2%, but other places flattish. 
I mean, that's an optimistic way of looking at it, I think. I mean, a lot of people have a vested interest in hoping that prices remain flat or, or keep, keep going up. But, I mean, going back to even back to about 2003, people were talking about the market being perhaps 30% overvalued. So um, I think a lot depends on the state of the economy. And looking at it on a one-year basis is perhaps misguided because if it's 30 40% overvalued, then over a longer term, things could fall quite badly. Well, the counter to that, I think, is the, the interest rate argument, which is that... While we have, until very recently, been in a rising interest rate environment, of course, base rates have just come down a quarter. And even notwithstanding that, and certainly given what's expected to happen to base rates next year, come down another half or whatever, um, we are in a historically low rate period. Borrowing for prime borrowers is dirt cheap. And I suppose another one, another two cuts in interest rates are plus maybe. Yeah, it could be more. forecast for next year. I suppose another factor which might slow the rate of decline uh, or might slow the return to more historic levels of house pricing is the is the lack of supply. Mm. There doesn't appear to be any easing in that. And, and mm. I think that's, that's what's um, behind a lot of these forecasts. Uh, the Halifax, the Nationwide, a lot of our contributors to FT Money all make the point that there just isn't enough housing stock. And contrast that with the level of commercial property development, which you see certainly around London. I know we're going to talk about commercial property later, but there you see a classic story, I think, potentially of oversupplies two years down the line. There are commercial property developments all over London at the moment. You don't see the same on the residential side, though. That's true. We'll see what happens next year. But let's turn quickly then to stock markets um, and what we, what we expect um, to see there. Now, lots of people still concerned about the credit crunch and thinking that the worst of the effects in the financials sector of the, of the market uh, hasn't been felt yet. A lot of people suggesting that there could be another six months of bad news depressing share prices. And yet our predictions are really quite varied. We've got some people predicting the FTSE at um, 7,200. That's the, I think that's the highest prediction we've had. And the lowest, the FTSE falling um, you know, almost 20% to just over 5,000. Why do you think these, these predictions are so different? I can't help think, I mean, there just seems an awful amount of, lots of uncertainty out there about how long this credit crisis is going to hang over the markets. You know, the bulls are talking about, oh, you know, now we're looking for value and all the rest of it. Are banks, is it time to get into banks or indeed into property, commercial property again, because it's been oversold? Or are are there more nasties to come? Are there more things to come through the system? Obviously, the longer the thing drags out, the less likely we are to reach new highs. Although at this top end, of course, you know, 7,200, some of our experts are predicting, that would take us to a new high for the FTSE, higher than even in the tech boom. There's only, yeah, although to be fair, there's only one one person, Nigel Cumming from Colin Stewart's predicting 7,200. I, I think the vast majority are in the sort of 6,000 to 6,800 range. A number of people talking about a slowdown in growth and also a sort of consumer slowdown, given that you know, it's been a consumer boom that's fueled certain sectors of the market. I mean, John, is that something that, uh, that you see being a, a major effect, is economic growth grinding to a halt? Oh, yeah. I mean, even on a personal level, my, my debts are, are problematic. I mean, I think I mean, t- as, as for the housing market, often it's those with a vested interest in things looking good that are talking about a sort of soft landing for the economy. But equally, there are some quite negative signs. I mean, um, one of the people talks about oil being at one, $125. 
if, if governments try and tackle global warming, then that can mean some sort of serious effects on the economy. So, you know, investors have got to be aware of the downside, and uncertainty is what markets are based on. And it sounds like there's going to be an awful lot more of it uh, uh, next year, so I think you've, with these predictions you rather sort of pays your money and takes your, takes your choice. I think what no-one's saying, though, is markets are going to take off next year. That's, that's a good point, yeah. Um, so, so it isn't going to be another year, as we have experienced in the bull market 2003 till well, till at least the early part of this year. Um, so it's either going to be a consolidation year or a go-nowhere year, or it's going to be a go-down year. That's true. If there is any consensus, it's, it's for that, which I suppose means picking your uh, stock market sector, uh, picking your individual stocks will become even more important. And, I mean, markets tend to really are flat. I mean, they tend to kind of go up, overshoot, and then, and then go down again. So those with the fingers crossed for a kind of constant good times might be in for a shock. Yes, yes, the, the good times may not continue rolling. Anyway, uh, for more on these predictions, uh, including all of the forecasts from the FT Money columnists, um, look out for the weekend FT on the 29th of December. Those predictions will also be online at ft.com forward slash money. And remember, you can send in your financial questions for us to answer or even your financial predictions uh, for us to peruse by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, utility bills, how to switch provider, save money and give yourself a warm glow. And we have some good news and bad news on the charges for individual savings accounts. But first, commercial property funds. Um, no one can have really failed to notice the difficulties that certain open-ended funds, that's unit trusts and uh, OICs, have got into as they've been having to pay back investors who want to get out of commercial property, and that means having to sell physical property and maintain liquid assets, which can be difficult to do in a falling market. But investment trusts, which are closed-end funds investing in uh, commercial property, have seen their prices fall much faster than the underlying assets, the properties that they invest in, Um, which, John, I suppose begs the question, at what point do these become attractive in terms of their price? At what point has their share price fallen so far that they're good value? Good question. Um, I mean, we've certainly looked at the open-ended funds before. So uh, I thought with, with, with discounts, they, they were very popular, the, the property investment trusts. They were trading premiums of up to 10%, but now they've fallen to discounts of up to 40%. So I rang um, Charlie Murphy from Broker Lands Banky, and this is what he said. There could be value on offer. NAVs will definitely uh, continue to fall. Uh, the closed-ended funds are subject to the same valuation pressures, but not the same redemption pressures as... Um, the open-ended funds, and we've seen strong signals from uh, the IPD that property values are falling. The big question is, is um, have share prices fully taken this into account? My personal view is that if you're a long-term investor and you're buying property for the characteristics that it normally provides, which is a long-term high income with modest capital growth, I think um, it, it represents an opportunity. There undoubtedly will continue to be some volatility as uh, news flow comes in. And if the banking system doesn't sort itself out, um, it could become really painful, but we're not expecting that at the moment. If trusts have got problems with, with covenants, do you think there's a possibility that the, the dividends could be cut? Because obviously that's a big issue for income investors. 
It is. Um, if you've got problems with covenants, they're probably very highly geared, these vehicles, and so you're actually at this stage um, taking more of a view on the recovery of property markets because you're, you're actually looking to take a big leverage position. Uh, Invesco property income has suffered because of its leverage. Um, it has uh, a high quality income stream. Uh, people are concerned that it will have to cut its dividends. But um, so far, the bankers have proved remarkably tolerant, uh, judging by the uh, announcements the companies have made. And um, a dividend cut has not been announced. You are taking a risk on something like that, but at a 70% discount to its uh, previous last NAV, which will fall when the next one comes out, there's still value to be had if you're willing to uh, be more aggressive. If you're looking for the conservative option, uh, F&C Commercial Property Trust the biggest, most liquid fund, very blue chip properties, low level of gearing, that will be very stable. And and uh, and that is probably the bluest chip uh, of, of the portfolios as far as I'm aware. And uh, it's got a sensible level of leverage. So to go, to go back to the first point, you see this if anything as a, buying, a long-term buying opportunity rather than a time to sell. Yes, uh, the, the time to sell has passed. You have to be particularly bearish about the world for um, the share prices on the deeply discounted funds to be bad value. They may, if things become worse, just be the right value, but I don't see them as bad value. And you are being offered some quite quite strong yields. And we haven't so far seen any major concerns with the real economy, uh, which is what will undermine that, that, that income-producing element of the fund. That was Charlie Murphy from broker Landers Banky. And, uh, John, it sounded as if he was suggesting that the worst is over. There's a, an opportunity to, to get back in, buy these um, investment trusts, trading at a huge discount to the value of the property they hold. Um, what can they actually do, though, to narrow this discount and sort of see the share price rise uh, to the level of the value of their assets? In the short term, their options are relatively limited because a lot of them have got borrowing and they have banking covenant issues. Investable property income is already having problems and is trying to sell down part of its portfolio. Normally, investment trusts can do share buybacks to bring in their discounts, but the lack of cash could be a problem. Mergers are a possibility. I mean, F&C runs three trusts that could merge. There's a possibility of takeovers, but raising cash might be difficult because of the credit crunch. And other corporate action might be difficult because the fund management groups tend to own larger stakes in the trusts themselves. So if it's going to be difficult for the trusts to, to buy back their shares uh, and narrow that discount to the uh, value of their assets, is it is it really just a play on improving sentiment then, waiting for the markets to, to think that these discounts are a little bit overdone? Uh, waiting for investors to come back to the sector, because the open-ended funds haven't fallen as, fa- as far as the as the investment trust, because the share price is more of a predictor. So, if you think that they've overpredicted, then this is a, a time to buy in. But on the, if, if the news gets worse and worse, then perhaps these predictions haven't gone far enough. But, but correct me if I'm wrong, John. Few people are saying that the the underlying markets are going to fall forty percent. Say, I it mean, I think it's a sort of. 15, 20, isn't it? People are expecting the yeah, downturn. I think, I think IPD are saying 12%, 12% fall for next year. Right. But 
it just depends. I mean, if, if the tenants, go, if there's a really bad recession and the tenants can't can't keep renting, then that, that's. I mean, at the moment, it's, the prices have been hit, but if the income stream gets hit as well, that, that's when real problems start happening. And you could see funds having, particularly if you've got covenant issues, they might start cutting the dividends. At the moment, the dividend yields look very attractive, but if they start cutting the dividends, that's a, a problem. So there's still some uncertainty there, but if you're willing to take a a, a risk on sentiment improving towards commercial property, or, or certainly commercial property not falling in value by as much as the 40% that, Steve, you were, uh, you were suggesting. It looks like it could be an opportunity. And decent incomes, presumably, as well. Yep, yep. But, but again, it all depends on economic conditions next year. And for more on commercial property investment trusts and uh, unit trusts, see this week's FT Money out on the 22nd of December and the first Investors Chronicle issue of the year, which is out on Friday the 4th of January. Coming up, we have some good news and bad news on ISA charges. Before that, though, gas and electricity bills. And, Steve, judging by uh, the sort of sniffles, uh, croakiness and sort of general coldness emanating from uh, from your direction, um, have you been paying your, your gas and electricity bills? Can you not afford an extra bar on the electric heater? Well, it's those 50p's, isn't it, Matthew? And uh, that... that Coat hanger no longer works at sort of fiddling the We're not paying you enough, are we? Well, I was going to mention it. Okay. Um, So I went to ask Tim Wolfenden, um, head of home services at uswitch.com, the online comparison service, about fears of rising prices and what householders could do about improving their tariff. Interestingly, in the past, there has been a strong trend that every winter prices do go up. Um, Fortunately, this year, prices have been on their way down. Unfortunately, what we have seen in recent weeks is some strong shifts in some niche products offered by energy suppliers, which will or possibly lead to larger-scale price increases across their whole customer base. So how big a price increases are we looking at? Well, various numbers have been put out there. One of the strong numbers is 15% thus far. That could add somewhere between 100 to £140 pounds onto the average customer bill. That's for both gas and electricity combined together on an annual basis. OK, and so what can householders do about it? Well, it's very, very simple. There's um, services out there online which offer a full comparison and switching service. So consumers can go to these websites tap in their information of where they live, who they're currently with, how they um, pay their bills, and then get absolutely accurate uh, bill comparison on who's going to be cheaper for them for their particular needs. What sort of catches are there in these services? I mean, do you have to pay to access them, or can you get cash back back? What sort of things should people be looking out for? There's absolutely no catch to use these services. These services are completely free and even hassle-free to help you in the switching process. What you don't have to do is switch via these services. You can quite easily compare and then go directly to the supplier. However, when you, if you do do that, be very, very careful to make sure you ask for the specific product and plan which that service recommended for your particular needs. If consumers want to get a little bit savvy about what's out there, there's a lot of reward schemes available. There are even capped and fixed prices available which will prevent your bills from going any higher. Sometimes these products do charge a premium, so watch out for that. Read a small print, but there may be some competitive products on the marketplace which which would give you a very, very good deal if you switch this time of year. 
That was uh, Tim Wolverton from U-Switch, and uh, I think he was making the point that there are so many different tariffs that you really need to know exactly which one is, is best for you and, uh, and make sure that you get it at the right price. Yes, um, that's why these online comparison services are great. You do need to know your usage. Some tariffs are targeting high users, some lower users, some those medium users. But once you've found the tariff as well, I mean, what's interesting is some of the different comparison services might come up with different answers. So it is worth using a number of comparison services to to find the best deal for you. But once you have found the best deal for the underlying provider as well, there are ways of getting cash back, you'll be pleased to hear. I knew you'd try and bring cash back in somewhere. I'm so pleased that you have. Tell us us how you you get cash back. Okay, a number of different ways. So you switch, for example might identify that British Gas is the right company for you. You could then go to a cashback website and see if British Gas will give you a cashback. A, a cashback site, you'll recall from our previous conversations, I the do. likes of quidco.com, topcashback.co.uk and other little-known uh, shopping websites. Mm. You can get up to 60 quid back from that, uh, switching to British Gas for dual fuel. Or, indeed, you can get a cashback just for using someone like you, Switch. MoneySavingExpert.com has a number of deals with some of these underlying online comparison services that will give you £15 back every time you switch through um, an energyhelpline.com or a moneysupermarket.com or one of the others. So it doesn't actually cost you any money. It could, it could make you a little bit of extra money when you switch. could make you a little bit. I mean, you shouldn't be driven by these cashbacks, which is what we always say. But, I mean, bearing in mind that tariffs, prices may be rising 10 15%, up 100 quid. Shopping around to find a better tariff plus the hope for cashback as well could mean that you offset that price rise totally. But listening to Steve, I mean, the, the, the amount of hassle just looking around and then the difficulties of trying to switch provider, I suspect this is going to be the sort of silver surfer pensioner types who, who managed to do this, not those who are working. Well, I'm obviously one, John. but um, <laughs> You're feeling close. <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel close. I think it's something of an urban myth that it's difficult to switch. Just to go back to the sort of basics very briefly, it's... It's the same pipes, it's all that, it's everything you hear in the adverts. It's just switching the provider, switching the tariff. I think those days of, you know, being double charged by companies and having, you know, the risk of being cut off, I think, if not gone, I think the risk is much more reduced. I think there's much, there's a lot of evidence out there that people have successfully switched and it's really very straightforward. But yes, I agree, it's not something you would want to do all the time, but it's just, it's cold at the moment, prices may be going up. You know, if it's something you're thinking about, far better to do it via an online comparison service than responding to one of those people ringing you up on the phone or or someone knocking on the door. Well, I think given the temperature outside and the fact that all of us have got really bad colds right now, it's well worth looking into. And uh, uh, if you'd like to know more about switching, um, Steve's article on this um, is in uh, FT Money on the 22nd of December. And finally today, it's good news and bad news on individual savings accounts, or ISAs, uh, as they're known. Steve, tell us, tell us the good news. 
The good news, Matthew, is TD Waterhouse, uh, one of the biggest online stockbrokers out there, is now offering free ISAs, free except for dealing charges. So there's no additional charge. Now, this is quite unusual for a stockbroker, as you know, um, because traditionally stockbrokers have charged something for that tax-free ISA wrapper, unlike the unit trust industry, which has been a free ISA wrapper for years. So no charge at all on, on your ISA, you can, and you can take take it out now? You can uh, have one for no the tax charge. year that ends th- in April 2008? Yes, uh, yes. I mean, no, no charge at all. There are a number of restrictions, inevitably, little small print things, but they're not major. You have to have a balance, I think, of £3,600 across all your ISA accounts. But it could be, a, you know, you could have 10 ISAs with TD Waterhouse, for example, and you have to have that, I think, as of June or something. Yep. But realistically, no. I mean, it's, this, this is good stuff, you know. I, there are other brokers out there who charge a flat fee no matter how many brokers you offer, but there are still quite a number of traditional, the more traditional stockbrokers, where they are charging £100 plus, simply for the admin of providing you with an ISA. It may be portfolio size related. It, there may be a flat fee per ISA or whatever. So you're paying £100 plus and, and then you're... On top of your dealing, dealing of course, yeah. Charges. I mean, always assume that there are yeah. dealing charges here on top. Yeah. Um, and some brokers, of course, you know, it's, it's well worth listeners looking at old-style PEPs in particular um, where you might have things like inactivity fees, remember them from old-style oh, right. brokers? Yeah. Yes, I do. Dividend collection fees, everything under the sun. As far as we can tell, this TD Waterhouse deal is is pretty clean. John, uh, uh, you've had a look at uh, this deal. I mean, it does it does sound quite good. Are there any others out there that are comparable? The only other one that First Stock shares is Alliance Trust Savings. They have a not percent um, annual charge. If you want um, funds, Hargis Lansdowne's ISA, that's very good, but they do charge for if you hold shares and cash and things. Yeah, that's and unit trust, isn't it, really? Unit trust, basically, yeah. off the management fee that you get from those. Or Best Invest, again, they, you offer a wide range of discounted funds for um, not, not percent, but um, they, you couldn't buy stocks and shares through them. But if you, if you want stocks and shares, the cheapest deals, TD Waterhouse, possibly Alliance Trust, what's the bad news, uh, then? The bad news, Matthew, is that... Um, by definition, a lot of listeners will already have their ISAs elsewhere. If you've got your ISA with another stockbroker, never mind all those other char- inactivity charges and annual charges, they may well charge you to try to move away as well, exit charges. TD Waterhouse isn't offering any help with paying those exit fees, whereas some brokers are, for example, Self Trade, for example, offers to reimburse exit fees. Pay your exit fees as as an an inducement to come and join them. Yeah, so you could end up paying £50, £100 to leave your other broker to join TD Waterhouse, where then you won't be charged an ongoing annual management fee. So you do need to set one against the other and... um, but, of course, the, I mean, this particular offer that has just been launched, and, of course, we're not really in the ISA season yet, so it might well be worth waiting till we're in the thick of the ISA season in February and just seeing if there's a better deal around at the time. There could be more deals. I mean, as Steve, as Steve mentioned, you've got to look at dealing charges as well. I mean, self-traders one is pretty good. If you buy exchange-traded funds, you don't pay um, stamp duty in those, and they let you buy those um, in the ISA for cost-free. Mm. So it's only the £25 annual charge. No dealing commission no on dealing exchange traded funds. funds. Exchange traded to buy, funds. To buy, you pay when you sell them. But, yeah. but as you were saying, as the ISA season takes off, January, February time, we may see more deals like this. So we will uh, we'll come back uh, to this subject and, uh, and look 
for the best value in early 2008. And that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we're now away for the Christmas and New Year break, um, but you'll be able to listen to our next show, which will be available online on Friday the 11th of January. But until then, uh, it's a very croaky, slightly coffee and sniffly goodbye from me, uh, from Steve and John. Bye. Goodbye. And from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.